that there's really more depth to any place than you could ever imagine. A lot of people don't even think that there are still populations on Easter Island, which is fine, you know? We don't know what we don't know. But when you go somewhere new, um, to always dig deeper than you think the surface is. Yo, welcome to another episode of Everyday Badassery. I'm your host, Christine Lozada. And in today's episode, it is filmed in cold and rainy Portland, Oregon. And if I'm real with you, everything, everything went wrong with the sound. But alas, I shall jump in throughout this episode, filmed from sunny South Florida, to kind of insert a couple things. But if you're new here, welcome. This is a traveling podcast meant to inspire you to be just 1% more badass today than you were yesterday. It's not just the big moments, it's all the small ones that add up. And I would love for you to journal along with me in these episodes. So make sure you check the show notes for your free podcast journal. I'm really excited for you to meet Jolene Carolina. She's amazing. Let's bring her in. I am uh, Jolene Carolina. I'm a language hacker and world traveler. I love that answer. And Keep it simple. We are freezing. I'm curious how this feels for you, but a place like Easter Island for me feels really exotic and really far. And as we unpack what Jolene Carolina was doing on Easter Island, we'll simultaneously learn about what it's like to travel there because I was genuinely curious. But first, let's hear about why. Like, why is she even on the island in the first place? I was on Easter Island by a stroke of luck and a stroke of daring. Um, I was I was invited there or told about this opportunity from a dear old mentor of mine who thought it would be a great opportunity that he said there was a mountain bike and he said that they want someone who can teach languages uh, in outdoor settings and someone who has experience working with indigenous populations because obviously that's a job description you come across every single day exactly and when you went to Easter Island, when was this and how long did you spend there? I left for Easter Island in 2018 mm -hmm. and I was supposed to be there six months, but I ended up staying two years. Where were you before you went there? Eugene, Oregon. Okay, so same thing as Easter Island, basically the same thing. Basically, <laughs> except for with Star Trek theater. <laughs> Which we will get to in a moment. <laughs> And talk me through, because I was so curious about this. So you and your mountain bike on Easter Island, mm -hmm. language related. Mm -hmm. What did an average day look like for you? Like when did you wake up and what did you eat for breakfast? And then like, what did your day, the rest of your day look like? Yeah, I got up at about 5 a.m. And I went and canoed in the ocean with a team of five other women. And that would set me up to go on into work where I would work with a variety of adults. I worked with doctors, I worked with housewives, I worked with people in the tourism industry. Whoa. Yeah, and for breakfast I would have coffee and toast. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. What was the most rewarding thing about your experience there? That's a fantastic question. Uh, the most rewarding thing about my experience there was ultimately feeling part of a community in those canoes. Um, and feeling like I really got to know some people who live there. 
and the respect uh, that it takes to be able to be part of a, a community and engage with that. Tell me about like what were what were these canoes? How many people would row at a time? And what would what was it like rowing? And what was your role? These canoes, I, I can feel them. There are different kinds of outrigger canoes um, that have one people, two people, six people, twelve people, and these are long distance voyaging canoes. Um, and what was it like? Um, I mean, the first time I was in one and was steering it, I flipped. <laughs> Wait, what causes someone to flip? Lots of things, but usually what causes, basically imbalance. And there's many things that can cause imbalance. It can be people not leaning enough one direction or the other, or people leaning too much one direction or the other, and boom, uh, it'll just flip on over. So if you all know anything about me, you know that I love boats and I have been in a lot of boating accidents. <clears throat> Let me just refer to the list here. Uh, if you've ever been on a boat that flipped over, I, as a matter of fact, have sunk boats. I've been in many jet ski accidents. Sorry, Meatball, about that recent one in Orlando, maybe just a couple months ago. It was funny in my opinion. I've fallen off many boats. Oh, that's for sure. My Zanzibar falling off the boat was probably my most epic one. Definitely on social media if you want to laugh at me. But one of the times, actually, this is uh, both funny and serious, if that's possible. One of the times I felt closest to death in terms of all the crazy things I've ever done in my life, and y'all know I love, love, love extreme adventure stuff, is I flipped a sailboat in very, 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 very rough waters. And it was just me and one other person. And it was my first time really sailing. He's an expert sailor and it was this tiny, tiny little sailboat. And it was just he and I, it looked literally like a bathtub. And he was on the back and I was on the front and I was controlling the sail and he was controlling the rudder. And what happened at one point is we were communicating, but because it was so rough, I literally couldn't look backwards. And as I kept my eyes forward, I was talking to him and I realized he's not responding because as I looked back, he wasn't on the boat anymore. In other words, and it wasn't his fault. The rudder literally broke. It fell off. And when it fell off, he fell off with it. And so as soon as that happened, the, the boat flipped over sideways and it was literally on its side. And what we would do is that we would climb up on the side and we would try to pull with our weight, pull it over and bring it back upright so we could scramble back in and get all the water out. But every time we tried to do that, it would just flip completely over. Then we'd have to dive down so that the boat wouldn't fall on top of us. And it wouldn't have been that big of a deal, except no one was out on the water that day. And because it was really rough, we were being pushed very quickly with the current and high waves straight into a jetty that was extremely rocky. And in that moment, I was just laughing as we were flipping the boat yet again, which to be totally honest, is kind of a fun activity. And I was just wishing I had my GoPro with me so I could film this moment of constantly flipping a boat with zero success and coming closer and closer to the rocky shore. All that to say, at the last minute, somebody came out with a boat totally unexpectedly and just swooped us up and we got out of there pretty fast. So on that happy note, let's talk about Jolene's story. So she's on these boats in teams of six and I asked her what happens when the boat flips over. Because I was genuinely curious given my own experience, uh, how hard was it for her with a bigger team 
well, obviously a bigger boat. But let's hear from her. It kind of depends on who you're with and how well they can flip a canoe, honestly. I've been on canoes with people where it took a half hour, and I've been on canoes with people where it took a minute. And it also depends on the conditions. It's a lot like siblings in a minivan. That's <laughs> <laughs> Right? Well, with a little bit more exertion and work required. Yeah. How long would you canoe for at a time? It depends. Uh, we would sometimes canoe just doing half hour sprints, but we were training for um, for a race that was 13, what would that be, 13 kilometers. It took us a little over four hours. Wow, that's a long time. And we were slow. <laughs> My guess is you're saying slow relative to something else you have in your mind. <laughs> Whereas if I were to get into an outrigger and paddle next to you, you would say, that is slow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. So, what was what would be your number one tip for somebody who wanted to be in your role, which is steering the outrigger? Oh man! Um, if someone wanted to be in the role of steering the outrigger, I I would advise to them that they seriously consider the wisdom of that role. <laughs> And that they be willing to relinquish the ego that many other spots can have because you have to really be able to just sit back and be able to be present for others and for the safety of the canoe. So you've got to let go of being number one or being the captain. You've just got to be safe and smooth and in shape. No surprise here. Because canoeing and kayaking are amazing, Jolene Carolina still does both activities today. And I asked her, to, I asked her, what was the most rewarding thing about her experience? Definitely being able to engage with the water and lose fear of a type of surface and natural element that before I had no idea about. Yeah. One of my favorite things to ask is for someone to talk about their moments of fear that they had. And yes, I'm listening to what they were actually afraid of, but it's more interesting for me to listen to their tone in how they recall the fear that they felt at the time, given they have 2020 hindsight now and have obviously overcome that thing. And so even for you, think back to moments of true fear you've had in your life and recall it now and maybe even say it out loud like what were you afraid of at that time and should you have been afraid of that in that moment and i mean again <laughs> hindsight is 2020 right but i also invite you to join me join me in making something of what you're listening to today download the free journal i really want you to to get out in the world and get after what it is you want and make action of it and get out of your comfort zone just a little bit at a time so check the show notes for that journal and by the way if you're enjoying this do not forget please leave a review. It really does help to distribute this to more people. And we would love to hear from you, whether you connect with us on social media or uh, send me a message. I'd, I'd really love to hear from you. All right, let's hear what Jolene Carolina was afraid of. We were heading out of the bay towards this rock where you go and you take a right and this you have to go. This is on Easter Island, exactly. And there were these really big waves and you go up and then you can't even see where you're going down and you smash. And all of my teammates wanted to keep going and I didn't feel like I wanted to. And so I guess that moment of self-doubt was the scariest moment. All right, let's jump to a day in the life of Jolene Carolina's life on Easter Island. Because for me, I'm trying to picture something and I literally picture 
nothing. <laughs> and I asked her, what's something that someone might not know about Easter Island? Well, it is a super athletic culture. Really? And I would not have thought of that because it seems like such a small island limited activities but because of that people have found all kinds of ways to engage with the natural landscape wow yeah hold on who's there like who's there besides like i just picture yeah. iguanas and like dolphins <laughs> maybe that's it well and you. it's <laughs> and some rocks <laughs> So it's actually, um, when you think of like a tropical environment, Easter Island is actually technically subtropical and there's, it's a very deforested and dry place. And the population that's there is now about half the population is Rapa Nui or part Rapa Nui and Chilean and about half the population comes from Chile, from the, the mainland, the Conti yeah. as they say. So is the primary language Spanish? Spanish, and there's still a good population of people that speak Rapa Nui, the original... The original language. Yeah, the original. Yeah. The language of the original inhabitants. Mm. Yeah. And then there's a somewhat strong population of French speakers. Really? Yeah, and French people. Oh, that's so fascinating. Would you ever go back and live there again? I would go back and live there again in another lifetime. Not this one. Mm. But I, I would, if someone has an opportunity to live there, recommend it. So I asked her, when did you feel the most out of your element while you were on Easter Island? <laughs> Lots of times. <laughs> All the time. But I guess I go back again I, to the canoe. And one time shouting out instructions in Spanish that I thought were correct, but were basically, if I translated them in English, like, hey, let's go do the Macarena, you know, by the carport. That fantastic. <laughs> I just realized. Wait, that's not what you were trying to say. Okay, let's talk about the Easter part of Easter Island. <laughs> I really love this next story. Can I tell you something cool about Easter Island that you might not know? I'm not going to say no to that. Okay, I before I went, I one night I woke up and I thought, I bet you people send letters to the Easter Bunny there. <gasps> and they do, sure enough. So where did they address it to? Just Easter Island. And the post office there has, yeah, they get a fat stack of like, a couple hundred letters every year and you can go and collect them and read them on the contingency that you write back the people who sent those letters. I love that. Okay, so in the <laughs> theme of really unique things about Easter Island, tell me something else people don't know about Easter Island that's kind of interesting. The, a lot of the, the statues are built after family members or prominent members of the community. Oh, um, really? Yeah, and I think a lot of people don't know, although it seems fairly common knowledge to me now, but I think a lot of the world still doesn't know that many of the heads actually have entire bodies below them. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah. So it, when you visit them, like, how long do you spend there, and what do you do? Just walk around and look at them? Yeah, so there's 228 of them in 64 square miles. And that then is a lot <laughs> over a... <laughs> Whoa! Okay, so it takes time to look at them. It does, but a lot of them too, like there are the special areas where they're set up on platforms called ahus. And some of them have been reconstructed, some of them are in their natural location. But then you slowly realize as you're riding your bike around or walking around that there are little bits of heads here, you know, little bits strewn over there, unfinished projects. Are you ready for some travel time? Let's talk about things to do, food, etc. in case you're ever curious about traveling to Easter Island. Well, there's a, a lot of really great seafood. 
especially the tuna uh, yeah. is really well known and a lot of um, what's the word endemic species to the area right which are only known around or are only native to a particular area um, so there are some there are some delicacies of those species and there's also a lot of plantains and just on the daily you know yeah. people eat a lot of eggs and things that and people do all over the world but really the seafood is the super special cuisine yeah and then there are certain ceremonial foods that are cooked over fires and it has a whole it's not as much the food you know it's like the potatoes and plantains but it's how it's cooked yes. and smoked and in these leaves the meaning that goes behind it exactly. and the experience of creating it cool. yeah the I whole process that. yeah yeah so easter island views itself as the el ombligo del mundo the the navel of the the world and it is really in the middle of the ocean it's basically three hours flight from chile you know in the southern tip of south america and three hours flight to Tahiti. So it's just squat in the middle of the ocean there. And there's two ways to get there from the US. One is to go to Hawaii, then to Tahiti, and then to Easter Island. And wow. that's the longer that's way. Yep. Yeah, mm -hmm. but it's also the more fun way. Of course, <laughs> right? I, mean, I would never want to stop over in Hawaii or Tahiti ever. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> And the most common way is to go through LA down to Santiago, Chile, mm -hmm. and then from Santiago, Chile on out to Easter Island. Makes sense. Yeah, and it's about, you know, it's a 10 or 12 hour flight down to Santiago, Chile, mm -hmm. and then again, it's like three, three and a half out to Easter Island. Mm -hmm. Wow, and how much time would you recommend spending there? Well, I just heard repeatedly from people who went to visit there, Gosh, we only planned this for three or four days because we assumed it was so small and we could do it all, but we really wish we were here for at least two weeks. I heard that time and again. Definitely engage with the ocean because spending time there or on any island, if any of you have, you, you come to understand that the ocean is as much a part of the land as the land itself. So if you're not comfortable scuba diving, you can go out on a kayak, you can swim, but engage with the ocean. Go see some dance. It's a significant part of the culture, expression, and experience there. So the dance has actually become very much a sort of, um, what would I call it? A sort of a hybrid Polynesian dance. It incorporates oh, other yeah. styles, right? Mm -hmm. um, which is amazing and beautiful, and but it has its own unique Rapa Nui accents to it. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a huge festival um, called the Tapati Festival in February where people start training you know months before and there's kids there's adults and yeah you can see these dances performed and a lot of other events too yeah um i would say to walk to the top of um to the highest point on easter island where you have a nearly 360 view but it's amazing because you get to see how much the sea and the ocean horizon uh you know the, the sky horizon are the same thing they become almost inseparable and what, oh, what's it called? Cool. Terevaca. It's called Terevaca. But go with a guide because you can get lost. Mm -hmm. Where can people find you? People can find me at Jolene Carolina on Instagram or uh, soon and upcoming JoleneCarolina.com or Jolene Carolina on Facebook. And you can find me on Wonderful. 
I love that. And yeah. all of that will be in the show notes below. <laughs> what an amazing time in Portland. We were at Argyle Winery when we were filming that, which is amazing. So if you want to see that winery, info on how to travel there, check the other video. But please connect with us. Your review helps us to distribute this to more people. Please, please connect with Jolene Carolina. Her info is in the description below. I'm Christine Lozada. I'm your host. I'm here every week with a new podcast. Go forth, be badass. We'll see you in the next one. Ciao.